When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to everyone talks to Liz. Okay. I, I'm not sure if I ever told you guys this, but I actually am one of five kids. I know that's totally crazy, right? Like, what were my parents thinking? But I'm so glad because they're all my best friends. Now, from oldest to youngest, it goes like this. Danielle, Holly, Shoshana, Liz, me, also known as the baby princess because there are four girls and I'm the youngest. And then my little brother, Brooke who finally arrived, so we call him the Messiah. Um, okay, check this. Four of the five of us were born with red or reddish-brown hair, but I, I by far had the brightest mop of red curls. And anyone who's a redhead, all of us are so used to being looked at either like exotic animals or weird humanoids because red hair is the rarest of all hair colors. But Boy, was I teased in school. If you can generalize one thing about redheads, it's that we're, most of us are really born feisty. But I never had a good comeback when people teased me. However, I always admired one fellow redhead, arguably the most famous redhead of all, the second only to Raquel Welch, Scott Carrot Top Thompson, right? The wildly popular stand-up comic, huge in Vegas, huge on TV. And, and he is that guy who just gets out there and fights right back into people's faces in a hilarious way. And boy, if anyone's a redhead, it's Carrot Top. He has an incredible backstory, and we thought... We got to put him in front of our Everyone Talks to Liz listeners. Because you know what? He grew up in Florida. He worked as a courier for a mortgage company in the late 80s, but he always wanted to be a comic once he became old enough to be sitting there looking at comics and thinking, I I'm so fascinated by that. I want to welcome Scott Carrot Top Thompson to Everyone Talks to Liz. Scott Carrot Top Thompson. I mean, the wildly, oh it's you, right? The wildly it, popular yeah. stand-up comic. You know, and, and just to start off, I worked on a movie with Raquel Welsh. How great is that? Seriously? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, called Chairman of the Board. She's a, <laughs> she was a gorgeous and I mean, I mean, really unbelievably just beautiful. And she gave me, in the scene, she gives me a card because she's playing this lawyer and she says, call me. Ooh. And, um. I love the scene, so I kept the card, and I would tell everybody, you know, Raquel, I got Raquel Welch's number, which is, of course, not her number. It was just a fake prop for the movie, but I still have it, you know, framed. as I got Raquel Welch's number. So Am I right? Yeah, very, She's, very... like, the, one of the, the most famous redheads of all time. I mean, Lucille Ball, and, I mean, there's, you got you got some, there's a lot of, you know, famous red. I mean, I'm, I'm one for the younger comic generation, I guess, but... Uh, you know, and funny enough, your intro, you know, I mean, that's how I got into comedy is literally because I was picked on. I, I had to have what you said, a comeback. And so being in Florida, of all people, right, in Florida, where all their, everyone's blonde hair and surfers. Oh. Yeah, I'm a blonde head, freckled kid, like, you know, 100, 100, 100 pounds. 
and I hated it. I wanted to be a blonde surfer. I didn't want to be a redheaded, skinny, freckly guy. I just hated it. <laughs> and so I used to take that like sun in stuff. It was called sun in, and you would you would bleach your hair, kind of. Oh, dude. And I did. I, I did it one time. My too. mom. I yeah, tried that. My mom too. about killed me. Yeah, mine. It mine turned not, not even. I already have red hair. It turned into like this horrible orangish. Horrible. And my mom really wanted to kill me. She said, this is the best thing you have is your hair. You don't, you know, mess this, you know, with your hair. This is you. Well, let me jump in there and rewind the clock a little bit because I have a million questions. First of all, what's your ethnic identity that you have the red hair? Because people always think I'm Irish, but I'm actually half Ukrainian, half Romanian. Yeah, I have a little bit of Hungarian and okay. English. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny. People always think the same thing. Oh, you're Irish, and they, you know, every every Irish holiday. Like, okay, British. That I understand. I've seen a lot of Brits with bright red hair, definitely. Uh, yeah. But yeah. growing up in Florida, okay, so I grew up in California. I, too, wanted to go the blonde. Right. That was never going right, to work because right, right. I have freckles <laughs> and pale skin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell me yeah. about your folks because I talk to a lot of comics whose parents are not funny. I mean, your dad was was a NASA engineer. <laughs> I mean, that's yep, amazing. Yep. But, but you know what? Behind that, he was funny. I mean, my dad really honestly had great timing. I mean, brilliant timing. He would just have... Now, he wasn't funny in, in general, but if, if he told a joke, you know, an old joke that he'd heard at work and yeah. told, you know, around the neighborhood or with all the other dads, my dad had impeccable timing, and he could nail the punchline. But in general, no. My dad was not funny. He wouldn't walk around telling jokes. And I really wasn't. I was a really quiet kid. And uh, when I decided to get into – I didn't even know how. I just was – I was watching, you know – I was always watching TV as a kid, and I, I just thought comedy was just amazing. But I didn't think I could do that for a living. I just thought, that's Hard. cool. <laughs> like, how do you even become a comedian kind of thing? I know that your mom, when you were a kid – took you to Las Vegas, and who did you see there who inspired you and planted the seed, one day I'll get to Vegas? Charo was the opening act, by the way. Um, Charo came out and, and like, you know, coochie-coochie-coo, and she danced, (laughs) and, you know, I I was, like, 14 or 15, and she, like, rubbed on me, and it was, like, the creepiest thing, and then... (laughs) Rich Rich Little was the headliner, oh. and I remember watching Rich Little on The Tonight Show. So here I am watching him in a live venue in Las Vegas, and uh, I didn't think – I honestly got to be honest. I didn't even think about Vegas. I just thought uh, that's not where anyone – I mean that's where real, you know, big-time celebrities go play Vegas. You don't, you don't play Vegas. So I didn't think about it. So to fast-forward a little bit to kind of know how exactly I got right into it, I was – I was I had just started college and I had left to uh, and I got a job delivering bank reports and so I would drive uh, after school I'd drive in the afternoon down to from Boca Raton all the way down to Jupiter and back and while I did that journey I would listen to talk radio and so I really got into talk radio and every day they'd have the five o'clock funnies with you know the comedy corner on 2000 Dixie Highway in West Palm Beach and they would have this every day this little ad and this promo and finally I said I'm gonna go down to that club one day so I went down oh. I found it and I just sat sat in the back and watched it was like Jeff Foxworthy and someone else and I just watched and I was amazed and I thought you know I went back one other time and I believe it might have been Seinfeld it was uh, and and I and the lady I walked up to the lady and I said um. I saw a poster for a contest. What do you have to do to be in the contest? And she said, well, you, you know, do your act. And I said, oh, she said, do you want to be in it? And I said, well, I don't really have an act yet, but I think, you know, if I do develop one, you know, what do I do? And she said, you know, come down and audition. 
So I went back to the, the college and I, they had like an open mic and I went up and I did a couple of things and uh, that's where I came up with the name Carrot Top and I, I, I had used to have the, you know this it, it was a dumb opening but it worked so I had this big orange wig <laughs> and the guy would announce me please welcome Carrot Top and I'd walk on stage with this big orange afro and everybody would kind of laugh and then I'd pull it off and then underneath it was my big red afro so it was you know it was funny and then not funny right so. It kind of that's where Carrot Top kind of came started, and then uh, I did all this, these jokes that were really strictly about the the you know the school and college and that because that's what you know talking everything that for college oriented it would kill, and so I finally got uh, just enough minutes to go down to audition. So I went down to the woman, and I said I want to audition, and she said okay great. I just started doing my stuff, and she stopped me at the, like midway through, and she said where do you perform this at? And I said at the college FAU, and she said you are. You got something very funny, but the, your material is not going to be. It's not generalized for, you know, for this club. I mean, of course, it works at college because you're talking about college things. Can you can you kind of come up with a more generalized material based stuff for you know a general audience? And I said, I'll sure I'll try. I don't know why my head thought this, but I was the, I was driving every day in Florida, and then you know the 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 normal joke in Florida is that there's old people. And you can't see their heads above the seat when they drive. And I mean, the steering like wheel, that, sure. Right, right. So I thought, okay, there's an idea. So I got this baseball cap, literally, and I put this mannequin he head on it. And I wore it on my head, and the, the mannequin head would be on top of the hat, like, you know, above. So when I, I said I made this for old people to wear when they drive so you can see their heads when they're driving. <laughs> and it was just, it was, like, just perfect for, like, Florida. It was, so I had two. They were both props and visual and then I just, my brain started thinking more visually. So I, I just started coming up with more and more ideas with a high heel for women that had training wheels on it on the back. And I had a, a cowboy boot with a kickstand so drunks wouldn't fall down. So I just started building all these these props. And I went down and I, I auditioned for her and she was like, oh my God, this is amazing. It sounds like you were an original and a lot of people weren't yeah. doing what you were doing. Yeah, no, and no, there wasn't. And your first debut in front of an actual audience, how nervous were you? What did you do to get over that? And what was it like once you, you got off the stage? Well, it was brilliant once I got done. I think going on the very first time, of course, you're like anybody's just terrified as to. But I don't know. I think from from day one, I had something in me that I wanted to perform. I mean, I used to, I'm nervous. You know, I was nervous, too. But mm -hmm. I, but I think the first laugh that you that I got, you know, you kind of put you into a little rhythm and then you're doing good and then you get done and you're like, oh, my God, that was so much fun. Um, and, you know, you want you want to do it again. When was the first time you realized I need to not do this marketing thing or whatever legit or so-called real job path and i need to go all in on stand-up comedy yeah that's well the year was 1985 when i i started doing uh uh you know performing more and more and more it, 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 and i say the shows but they weren't they weren't ones that necessarily i got paid yet for so there were a lot of contests and i would win and I'm not kidding you. Every time I, you win this contest, it was like twice a week they'd have these contests. You, you're, the prize was a Walkman. If you're old enough to remember Sony. a Walkman, right? <laughs> sure. A Sony Walkman. So I, I had like 30 Walkmans, right? So I was, <laughs> I would be giving these things away to my friends. Like, where are you getting? A, why are you giving me a Walkman? I'm like, because I've got like 30 of them. I keep winning this contest. 
And then I then I would make a joke. I said, "Can you run with a Walkman?" I mean, so I always had you know it's fun that I won it because then I came up with a joke. But uh, <laughs> we had I had I had finally gotten so many you know things that finally one day I got a friend that said, "Do you want to do this show?" And it was in Jacksonville or something. And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "It pays like two hundred bucks." And I was like, "You got to be kidding me, right?" Because I had never gotten paid to do comedy. So, oh. I, of course, I took the gig. I went down to a bar and I did it, and I got two hundred bucks. And I was like, "Oh my god!" I called the guy. And I said, "Do you have any more of these?" And slowly and slowly, I would get, you know, like just literally. I still have my calendars in my in my in my office that from all the way back to those Aww. years where I wrote in all my my bookings, you know, so I could fill up the week and try to fill. And then I had an open week, and then I'd get one gig, and then I'd have you know three weeks off, and then one gig that might pay the rest of my bills, and so. It was uh, it was definitely a journey. But I think it's always really important, Scott, to to let people know that the line to success is is not necessarily a straight one. It, my story is so interesting because it started out, it starts out like that. I'm doing really well, and then I couldn't get gigs together. I just couldn't I couldn't figure out a way to do it, so I just got out, mm -hmm. and I started shucking oysters. Really? And yeah. And so I'm shucking oysters in Orlando, Florida, <laughs> and I've got literally I've got three roommates. We're living in this condo, and I would shuck oysters, and I was I hated it, but I mean, I, but it, but I was it was entertaining people. I was behind the bar, you know, doing my shtick and joking and and you know shucking oysters at the same time. And I'm in there one and there's and th I'm in there one night, and there's there's this, these two couples. And they're just looking at me, and I'm shucking oysters. And they said, "Do you have a twin?" And I said, "God, I hope not." And they said, "No, you 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 have to have a twin. He's in Tampa. He's unbelievable. He goes by Carrot Top. We just saw his show. I don't know when did we see him." And they're looking at me. They said, "You are exactly like him. He was the funniest guy we've ever seen. He goes by Carrot Top." And I just looked at him, and I thought, "Oh my goodness!" And so I I. Went home that night, and I kind of got all my stuff back out, and I started oh. trying to think, and I called my friend up, and I said, is there any way you have any other gigs? And he said, yeah, I've got one on New Year's Eve. And I said, well, I can't do it. I just was going to try to get me to slowly – I can't do a show. I haven't done a show in a year. Um, he said, no, no, no. It's a whole – so you get – you know, it's a 1000 bucks or something for New Year's Eve, and you're the headliner. I said, no, I, I haven't performed in a year. I can't be the headliner. I'm, I'll go and do like a little thing just to get my feet wet. And he said, no, you're doing the whole show. Wow. And so – I went and I and I went back after after a year off and I went back and I did that one show and then somehow I I, I kept stringing together more and more gigs and then I moved to uh, uh, Charlotte and uh, there was a guy that that owned a whole bunch of clubs in the South and so basically when I signed on with them I had you know two years of work and then uh, after the club thing was I was doing so well in the clubs they had this thing called now this is where I think I owe my whole career to the the NACAs and it's called the National Association of College Activities okay it's, so I went on a showcase once and it was like a, a like a, a regional showcase and I and I did so good I picked up like 50 colleges and then they said you're invited to the national convention in in Dallas Mm. And this is the big deal. Every college in the in everyone, every college goes to this thing, and they send their their people, and you showcase, and then they they buy you or don't buy you. And so I went up, and I, you know, God bless. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I went up, and I had probably the best fifteen minutes that I've ever done in front of this entire ten thousand seat. You know, all these buyers from colleges. And I came off, and it was like, you just broke Harry Chapin's record. And I was like, 
Terry Chapin's <laughs> record of what he said you got like three thousand colleges booked you. <gasps> Whoa! So I'm like, what? And they said, yeah, you're booked for five years. And I and I'm, I swear in my life, I did colleges for oh, probably for at least five. I mean, longer than five years. But I would do so. I would do like a cafeteria in the morning, and then I would drive my car and go do the <laughs> arena at night, or and then do a cafe. I swear, I got our hallway or breezeway, and then at night I'm in the theater. <laughs> And I did that forever. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. So when did you get asked to do the Holy Grail? Television. It was a big show in California. It was called Comic Strip Live. It was um, on Fox, and everybody was, everyone was doing it, like big names, you know. And I was like, wow. And I, they said, you want to do it? They, I sent my tape, and they, they, they approved it, and I went. And you know, this is again. Now, this is kind of going back to you. Maybe your listeners might enjoy this. So, you know, never been in a TV show, but I've, I've been playing in front of audiences, and I mean big ones, you know, everything from ten thousand people to fifty people to twenty people. So. I get to this, it's just a, a comedy club. So it's the, the actual size of the room, it didn't freak me out. And there, there was, you know, television cameras and wires and, you know, studio thing. And it, um, it had an energy about it because it was a TV show. So it, was, it just made it more nerve wracking. But I remember literally talking in my head to myself. I said, do this like you just do any other show. Yes. Just forget it's a TV show. Yes. Forget there's cameras. Yeah. And I, but this is, you know, this is, you know, when I was, you know, 20 some years old. And I, I had the, the smarts in my head to think, don't go up there and they just, it's a, it's a comedy club. It's a, it's Tuesday night. We just did in Charlotte. And so I did, I went up there with the attitude, like, I don't care. It's a TV show. Just do your normal thing. And I killed and it was great. And, <laughs> and it was such a great, you know, I, Oh my God, now I've done television and I went and I have a, you know, a unique look. And so the de- the next day I, I literally went somewhere. I went to go get lunch with a friend. It was the next day. And I sat down at this little diner, and this guy's like, are you Carrot Top? <gasps> and I said, yeah. And he said, that was great last night. And I thought maybe he'd see me. I've been doing you know comedy on the road for you. Maybe he saw me in Dallas or something. But he said, no, I saw you in TV. And I said, and my friend looked at me. He's like, oh, my God. And I'm like, that was my first, like, you know, oh, my God, someone recognized me, you know, from being on television. So then I did, I mean, literally almost every day until I did another TV show, people were like, 
are you are you that comedian guy? Oh, and so see? I kept thinking, oh my god, this is weird. But it, but back then it's exciting. You're like, yes. oh my god, people recognize. And then they got, of course, then back in that back in my day, they had all these comedy shows on TV that would showcase comics from Comic Strip Live to Sunday Comics to Evening at the Improv. They, they wrote Sunday Comic. I mean, it went on forever. There was like twenty different. Uh, TV station shows that you could get on. And if you got on one, usually you would get on the other because they, you know, you, you did good on there and they want you to do good on there. So I I did, you know, every comedy show known to mankind that was out there. Then I got the, the national one on, on Sunday Comics, which which was the big one after uh, on Fox. It was primetime. It was at 9 o'clock. So to do that show was like, I mean, only the Seinfelds and the Foxworthies and the big names were doing it. Mm. So I did it and... I did great on it, and I remember I made a, I might have flown back to Charlotte, and I landed, and my manager at the time said, um, Leno called. <gasps> and I was like, you got to be kidding me. And they said, no, they want you on, like, Friday. And I was like, Fr- like, this Friday? And they're like, yeah. And I walked into the studio, and I walked up, and Jay was standing there, and he shook my hand. He said, thanks for doing this. And it was just, it was the most surreal thing in the world because this is the show, the blue seats, and I looked down, and there's that gold star that J- Johnny Carson would stand on every night and do the monologue and the curtains behind you. And I kind of had a little little panic attack. Right. So anyway, I did it, and I got done. I sat down with Jay, and it was like my first Tonight Show. And then that was the first time I think I legitimately said to like my to myself that I think I'm in stand-up comedy. Oh. Even pr- even prior to all that, I you know I wasn't in show business. I was just doing comedy on the roads and stuff but to, to be on television and to be you know seen by you know the world it, it was was huge was just deal. A, well, it was, well it was when you kind of think you know i think I'm, I'm doing this now for a living i'm not yeah. going to try to look for a job in marketing so i'm doing all these tv shows and i i i get i'm doing regis and kathy lee Mm. And I was a regular on that show, and I did so. Uh, Regis, I'm, God bless him. He he loved me like like just weird, like just he was just fascinated with my my how I come up with it. How do you come up with this stuff? He would just, <laughs> he was just so crazy. And I would say, you know, I, this is I don't know. And he well, how did you come up? And he tell the crowd, look at this. He comes up with all this and stuff. So I get done, and I'm I'm literally getting done. I'm packing up all my stuff, and this guy walks over to me and says. That was phenomenal. And I said, thank you. And he said, you must kill in Vegas, I bet. And I said, oh, my God, that's funny. I said, no, I've never been to Vegas. <gasps> and he said, you've never been to Vegas? And I said, no, you've never played Vegas. And I said, no. He says, you are Vegas. And I said, oh, well. And he said, if I can book you in Vegas, will you take the gig? And I said, well, of course. And the guy calls me, I don't know, my manager, I guess, a week later. And it, by the way, it was Kathy Lee Gifford's manager. So he comes up and he calls and he says, I got you a gig at Bally's. And now this is Vegas. This is Bally's showroom. It's where they had the showgirls and the thing. And the and I, the stage is as big as my, I mean, I'm, as big as the hotel. It's, it's, it's huge, huge. Huge. And I have these two little prop trunks <laughs> on this stupid <laughs> stage, right? And I'm like, I look like an idiot. I, and I didn't even think that, you know what, you know, George Carlin just stands there with a mic. I don't think about that, but I just felt naked. So I went to, I went, I got the game. I went down to, to Walmart and I bought all these tables and, and tapestries and, and, uh, lamp, uh, what do you call lava lamps. And I went to a thrift store and I bought a, I bought a couch and like a sofa. I'm not making this up and a big rug. And I made like a set 
Okay. So it filled up the stage, right? So I had like a set. It looked like a little hippie set, a little house, the rug and the chairs. And then I put my two prop trunks and they had lamps. So it looked like it almost looked like a sitcom. So I felt more comfortable on that stage because it was just so naked and so bare. And uh, I did the first, I don't know, it was a night or two. And they said, you know, we're, we, we want to book you more. And I said, well, I still have other obligations. I can't just take Vegas. And then we got a call from the MGM Grand. And the MGM Grand said, we want, we want Carrot Top. And so we went to the MGM Grand and I they and we started doing like in and out like three weeks at a time and then I'd go on the road and then come back and do three weeks and or sorry like three months on the road come back do three weeks in Vegas go back on the road back and I did this for for a couple of years and finally said no we want you full time and then then you just start thinking my god this you know I'm uh, don't screw this up right so it was about 10 years of doing the MGM like that and then David Copperfield one day decided he wanted the room permanently and so they came to me and they said listen hate to tell you this but we got to move you and i was like oh no I, I was getting fired they said no 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 we don't want to fire you we just have to find a different place for you because david copfield wants to come in and take over the room full time so of course the newspaper called why did you leave and i said well david copfield made me disappear <laughs> and of course that got a laugh from him. got a laugh from him he's like i didn't make you disappear i said in a sense he did so <laughs> They went to the Luxor calls, so they're still MGM Grand property. Sure. So we went over there and checked out the Luxor room, and it was this groovy little room that's like a stadium seating. Um, it holds, you know, close to 500 people. It's, it's like intimate. It's great. So we took it with the thought of maybe we'll try to see even just play with it, you know. And he said we got to do a year at least, and I said, well, I'll just do like six months. I don't want to commit to this, and we did a year. And they asked me if I'd do more, and I was reluctant, and I said, I don't think so. I think I'm going to go back on the road because I'm a road guy. And then somehow my brain was like, okay, I'll give you another I'll give you another year. And they said, well, we want to do like, you know, two more years. Like, And I said, I'm not signing a two-year deal. And I signed a two-year deal. And then they got done with the two-year deal, and like, you were, we want to sign you for, for three. So I said, okay. And then we did the three-year deal. And then the next time we came back, they said, we want to do five years. And so... It just kept continuing, continuing. And now we just uh, re-signed, I don't know, two weeks ago for oh, five more. Oh, so, mazel so we're now again, we're, That's we're, fantastic. Yeah, we're, it's our, yeah, it's our 18th year at the Luxor, 18 years. And so I've been very blessed in that regard. Where I don't, you know, I've been I've been going and going and doing this, but uh, yeah. not, a, not a lot of my friends are, who are even funnier than me get that chance. So, I'm, again, so, I'm very lucky. Do you live in Vegas now? I do. I mean, I live in Florida and Vegas. I have my house in Orlando. I, I, I still keep there and uh, when i get breaks i go back home and then uh, i have a house here in in uh, vegas are you still close with your folks well my father passed away um a few years back but uh, my mom lives in vegas yeah and she's uh she's my biggest fan she's she's Aww. not even that far from where i live and so now uh, speaking of regis and kathy lee uh i'm doing the the new show whatever it's called kelly and mark yeah I'm doing that on Monday here in Las Vegas, uh, and my mom is going to be in in the crowd watching it. So oh. it'll be uh, yeah, it'll be really fun because she she was definitely she was there the very first show that I that I went up on, and she was there the very first show that I did back in uh, for the New Year's Eve show. She was how there and witnessed the whole thing. So how important is it to have a cheerleader in your life like your mom? 
Oh, it's nothing like it. I mean, to have the support. I mean, you know, my dad towards the end was very supportive. In fact, he called himself Pop Top <laughs> at the end. <laughs> um, but uh, but in, in the beginning, of course, you know, they were all. I wouldn't say they weren't. They weren't. You know, behind me in the sense of you know when he they just were worried. You know, they're like, "You're gonna do what?" And you know, my dad would say, "But you're not. You're not even funny. Like he, I wasn't a funny. Kid. I wasn't funny around my father. I was just you know." I was just a quiet kid, and then all of a sudden I got in to do this job. My dad would see me on TV, and he's like, my God, where did you become this caricature? Um, and I said, no, it's just me, Dad. It's just me with a little more energy. But, uh, but yes, it's always great to have the, the people that, that support you. I mean, from day one, from my, all the way from my friends to my family that, that have always had my back and you know, really you, supported me. Who do you admire? Which comic do you look up to the most? You've mentioned George Carlin a lot. Anybody yep. else? Well, there's a lot of them. George Carlin is probably the number one as far as that. But there's so many comics. That, I mean, there's there's hundreds of comics that make me laugh and that I admire. I mean, I definitely admire the ones that 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 you know always work hard. Um, that really, you know, I'm going to be in with Jim Gaffigan. I think I'm. He's a brilliant hilarious. comic. And hilarious. He, and he and he writes jokes all the time and he keeps it fresh. And of course, Jerry Seinfeld is probably one of the best stand-up comics there's ever been on this planet. He's no no comic watches him and doesn't think I should just get out of the business. He's that good. Um, <laughs> everybody from you know Billy Crystal to Gary Shandling to uh, you know Robin Williams to Ed, Eddie Murphy, R Richard Pryor. I mean, there's just been there's Chris Rock's a good friend of mine. There's so many comics that just have, and what I love about it, and I always tell people this when when people give me grief about being me or they don't like my particular style of comedy, I always say, you know, you there's thirty other different, forty different other kinds. You don't have to. You can you can go watch Dennis Miller if you want to watch Bill Maher if you want to watch political humor if you want to watch something silly and fun you can come see me. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. So when I think about you and I think about you on stage and your incredibly distinctive brand of humor and then your look, it all comes together, and no one is like you. What is your advice to people listening who might? have dreamed of being a stand-up comic or an actor, but think, you know, there's nothing about me that really stands out, but I have this dream. Yeah, you know, sometimes I don't necessarily believe, and that's coming from me, that that have that, that you just said, all the things that I have, you're right. It's kind of interesting because I, I have all the three things. The act is, is definitely different and unique. My look is, is totally different and unique. Um, but I, I, I think... I don't know if necessarily if you want to be an actor or a comic that you necessarily need to have something like oh I'm gonna make you know you know spiky hair or, or whatever. I, I don't necessarily think that you need like a thing. It's the personal style I think that that is more, is important and it has to be something that really is you that that's not generated to like comedy and acting is all about real. You got to be real. And if you're not real, they're going to see right through it. You know, my look at all that, I've dressed like this since I was a kid. So people are like, <laughs> oh, you're saying you look, you know, you have the baggy pants and the torn T-shirt. I'm like, yeah, and I've dressed like this since I was 12. I mean, I literally, <laughs> this. all my friends and my mother knows that I never changed my style. I've always had, you know, my moppy hair. I always wore makeup. You know, I always had, I always had some little bit of sparkle on, like a little glittery something. It's really important to be authentic, and I think you'd agree with well, that. Well, actually, more more importantly than the actual look, I want to actually would like to share this because I think when young comics ask me advice, which is funny because now I'm old, so they ask I'm the old guy they ask advice for. 
the advice I normally give them, I wouldn't say get something crazy to wear on stage because that does nothing. It's what you're going to do on yes. stage is what's the most important thing. Because, right? Because when you, when you think about it, when they mention your name and you go up there, it's not what you're wearing. It's what you're going to do. It, the crowd could give a crap about what you're wearing, usually. Mm-hmm. It's about what, you know, if Elton John wore that big, big bird suit but didn't have any music to back it up, they'd <laughs> boo him off the stage. So, you know, you've got to have something that ready, pre- prepared. And that's usually what I tell comics is what's going to be your – your message are you going to talk about politics are you going to talk about observational are you talking about your family are you going to talk about self-deprecating you i mean it's a, there's a whole bunch of the variables that have to go into uh of course. you know being 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 that person you are that you know, people go see at night like i think when people come see me they they know what a carrot top show is going to well some yeah. some probably don't some some don't know they come and they go okay so scott yes. as we finish up i am just blown away by your energy it's almost oh, as if you're <laughs> jumping through the microphone into people's cars or wherever they're listening right now, if they're working out or jogging, because we have a lot of listeners who love this kind of stuff. What's oh, your great. final message about you and where you plan to go in the future? Well, you know, I always love that question because especially in this, well, not every business really, is I don't think really people have, you know, I, you could ask, I can ask you and, and, probably be the same thing like i don't really know i mean you just don't know the future that's what's that's what makes it so interesting True. you know tomorrow i could get called and be in a, in a spielberg movie i mean literally you just, you just don't know um you know 10 days ago i wasn't going to be in kelly and, and mark show here that didn't that just happened so um i just did a movie that you know just came out of the out of out of the blue they just asked if i'd be in a movie so you just gotta have to yeah just run run with it and, and go with it oh. and, and and the advice that i got from from a comic oh my god years ago and i, I and I, I i i have it framed and i and i i think the what i i think was great about it he wrote it on a napkin buddy hackett and buddy hackett was in a when it was in like a, 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 a airport bar and i and i've always done this when i see a comic especially a legend i never want to bother him i just i just i just look and i stare and i go oh my god that's oh my god that's buddy hackett and this time i thought you know what i'm just going to go over and say hi this is before we had cell phones and all that so i just walked over he was sitting by himself and i said i don't want to bother you mr hackett but i'm a i'm a young comic and I just wanted to say, you know, you're you're brilliant, and thanks for getting you know a pathway for all of us comics. And he said, "Oh, what do you, what's your name?" And I said, "Caratop." He said, "Caratop." And I said, "Yeah." He said, "What the hell is a Caratop?" I said, "That's my <laughs> stage name." And he goes, "Okay." And he says, "I'm going to give me some advice." And I said, "Change my name." And he goes, "No, keep your keep your Caratop." But I'm going to give you some advice. In fact, I'm going to write it on a napkin. And he wrote it on a napkin, and it's framed in my house. It says, "The the key to the treasure." is the treasure and i broke it down forever trying to figure out what the heck he meant and what i think he means by that the key to the treasure the key to this success the key to life the key to happiness the key to all that that treasure yeah is that so the whole key to this thing is it the whole key to life is right now is you're in the treasure existing right now the moment yeah 
that's what I broke it down. I, I'm thinking that's probably close to what it, what it meant, but I, I just cherished it. I always think, you know, the key to the treasure is the treasure. And it could have just been messed with me drunk and said, oh, I can't just pop my message on that one. But I think that's, I think that just kind of subtly says it all. You know, the key, the key to life is life. You're, you're, you're in life right now. The whole key to it is right now. And you it's know? not a dress rehearsal. That's a cliche. But guys, if you're listening and you're thinking, wow, he did it. I'd love to. You have to seize this moment because this is all we've got. Scott, what yeah. a great, great conversation. Thank you Thank so you, much. Liz. Good luck at the Luxor, although you're 18th yeah. year. You don't need and my luck. You. No, we always need luck, you know, and then and we also always need love and luck. And, and you you gave me a lot of love on this in the show and, and your listeners. Um, if, if they've listened to this for, for this hour, I, I hope they they got something from it. And uh it was it was really a pleasure telling the story. Am I right? Right? Does his energy just explode through the airwaves? That is a perfect case of somebody who maybe was a quiet kid, but engendered and built up this volcano within him, this molten core, yes, red hot. And and he just reached for the stars and he snagged them. I love that you guys tune in to hear these stories, and I love you. I really do. You know, no matter what hair color you have or if you're bald, we love you all. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Claim and Countdown. Come check out my red hair. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.